Good morning. Sorry to interrupt conversations. Let me grab your attention. As, always, as already has been highlighted, um, we've kind of taglined this, this Sunday, Farmbox Sunday. Um, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, what the heck is Farmbox? You've probably noticed on your tables these. That's probably given you a wee bit of an insight into Farmbox. And one of the great things that we get to do, and we've got to do very recently, is partner with Origin. Uh, they're great friends of us, Kenny and Vicky, who head up Origin up in Balamani, and they're helping us to grow our own food. And we got to go up there a couple of weeks ago just to start planting. And Kenny, with his creative ability, has done a very short video, which is going to highlight to you what kind of farm box is. And then I'm going to get Ian and Libby to come up and answer a few questions. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the short film. Well, it's planting day at Origin, and we got some friends coming up from Belfast from the Farm Box Project. Those guys are awesome. They um, support refugees and asylum seekers um, living in um, the Belfast area, and we've been able to connect with them to build grow vegetables. So all of the stuff in our polytunnel at the moment is getting planted out today. Plus, we got loads of potatoes going in. We got um, onions going in. It's going to be a really good day planting stuff out. We got like three full massive beds um, to do today. So a lot of work ahead but it's going to be fun. started must be about four years ago right and it was just simply um a girl in our community in redeemer who uh, through her nursing context had discovered that um something for for asylum seekers and refugees coming into northern ireland um one thing they really struggled to get hold of just the expense was fresh fruit and veg so a lot of the um Food banks obviously were great in providing sort of um, non-perishable foods, you know, like tin stuff, you know, dried pasta, rice, all that kind of stuff, but wouldn't have had fresh stuff. So it just simply started with being able to provide family with fresh fruit and veg every two weeks. And it just grew from there. So now we, we um, support five families at the moment. Um, and then we just sort of thought about wouldn't it be great if we could start to grow our own food? And maybe also invite these families to also become a part of that too. Um, and that's where we are at the moment, basically. Um, so I'd love it in the next few years if we could just see more people come up here to Origin and take part in planting and harvesting. for the new polytunnel. <laughs> I'm excited are, for the new polytunnel yes, too, yeah. Because we're going to have dinner nights, because um, we love growing mm. food together, we love cooking food together, we love, we love eating. eating food together. <laughs> <laughs> 
and obviously we love giving away food as well which is what we were doing today yeah farm box growing yep. stuff to give away but we also love um just being with each other and just i love seeing things come to life so it's really exciting when everything's coming to life and starting to grow um and then we think oh my goodness there's going to be some amazing food made there's going to be so many people that can come and plant and enjoy this with us um, so really excited about that. We're opening, we're starting to open on the, the 1st of June we are opening and it's so exciting. We love meeting people, people coming and experiencing this place for the first time, for the 50th time. It's just amazing to see new faces, old faces, not like old looking, but you know. <laughs> it's great to just see so many people and to have them all connected in and chatting away to us and chatting about their passion for their own spaces, their own gardening, their own growing of vegetables. Um, and maybe just sharing stories and sharing food around the table. Um, it's going to be amazing. Yep. And having coffee oh, and coffee. You know, drinks outside. It's going to be just a great season. Great summer. So there you go. We, we taster of um, Farmbox partnering with, with Origin. As they've mentioned there, they're going to be open every Saturday from the 1st of June. If you've never been to Origin, I'd encourage you just to head up there. It's great fun. You get to see Farmbox's polytunnel, but also you get to get stuck in. They'll get you doing things um, as well. And if you miss the planting day, at the end of June, we're going back up there again as a community um, to do some harvesting. We're going to do some planting as well, so put that in your, in your diary too. Right, I'm going to invite Ian and Libby up. Perhaps you can just give them a great welcome this morning. Ian, Libby, come up. Grab a seat. Who's going first? <laughs> so Ian and Libby um, are part of our farm box team. And I have to say, just personally speaking, um, you guys are a real delight to have in the community. Uh, and I'm sure others within Redeemer would say that too. Um, so just thank you for your time and your energy uh, and your joy, actually. Um, but I've got some questions for you, particularly around farm box. So Firstly, is it Libby going to answer first? Is it I? Okay, Libby. How did you come to get involved in Farmbox and why did you want to get involved? That's my, I think that's my question. Oh, is that your question? There you go. I think the first question was answered in the video. So. Ah, there you go. <laughs> um, really, I mean, I think over the last number of years, I've been on a bit of a journey learning a little bit more about my faith in many ways. Um, and uh, you know, moving to that understanding of the gospel and the kingdom being a much bigger story than just going to heaven when you die, <laughs> that or or that sort of personal relationship with God. There's a bigger story there, mm. in that the kingdom is something that's being being planted and being developed here and now. And part of that, and one of the um, focal points of that, is being compassionate and being involved and welcoming in those in the margins. And we've been here about a year now, and actually a year ago, Jason Miller came along, and that was our first Sunday here, actually, interestingly. But um, we were being led into a new community at that stage, and one of the things that actually um, drew us into Redeemer was actually reading about and listening about Formbox, because we thought there's an opportunity to really get involved in that type mm. of work. So that's really where, where it came from and where it started, and that's why we got involved in Farm Box. Brilliant. Excellent. So for those probably thinking, what actually happens? What actually happens on an every-two-week basis? Libby, could you just tell us a bit about that? 
Yes, I have. Well, this is actually our Sunday on duty. So once a fortnight, um, whenever we come to church, um, well, actually before that, there is a food delivery that comes to church on a Friday, and that comes from one of the supermarkets. And that contains all the fresh fruit and vegetables that are needed to hand out to the families and individuals. And then um, Matt actually already on a Sunday morning has those bags packed. And it's just like a big sort of Tesco bag full of fresh fruit and vegetables. And then we basically collect it uh, from the farm box, which is down in the porch. And then we go off. We choose actually to do it immediately after church on a Sunday. So we take our bag to our family and deliver the food. And we always stick to the same family or families. And we go to the place where they live. And it tends to be across Belfast. And then we literally just arrive and ring the doorbell. And then they come and we deliver the food. And we tend to have a short chat. And um, it's just a really good way of getting to know them. And, you know, it's, it's us. It's always us every week. And then they sort of become familiar with us. And, um, and that's a really good way just to build up a relationship mm-hmm. with them. And, um, and that, that is basically it. It's not complicated or it's, it's very straightforward. It's not rocket science. Yeah, it's very <laughs> straightforward. And it's just lovely. You just feel it's a real blessing and a privilege to have that opportunity to get to know some other folks who are living on a, a limited yeah. income and you feel that um, this just helps take away some of the financial stress yeah. that, that people experience. Yeah. So, last question. What, what would you say to someone or a family thinking about getting involved with Farmbox? Well, I think that, and first of all, as Libby says, it's not complicated. Um, so I think it's a real opportunity to dip your toe in and start to serve the city around us. I think it's a real opportunity to just get out there and see what's happening and just yeah. do something uh, positive and in service of others. Um, one thing, another thing that's sort of been on my mind recently is um, this idea that um, our kingdom work doesn't need to be enormously dramatic. You know, God is doing lots of little things mm. Uh, through his church building his kingdom and even that sort of little may may not seem very dramatic to you but as those things come together God's doing big things through his community um, in this world so I would say look it's a real opportunity to meet people from different cultures from different backgrounds and uh, just to engage with them and uh, um, I would really encourage and the other thing is it's it's exciting to see how things are developing and turn in the with origin and getting involved with that and I think it'd really be good to get a few more volunteers on on board to sort of take that forward. And obviously, the more people we have yeah. engaged, the more we can do. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Let's give it up for Ian Libby. Thank you so much. <clears throat> have you guys been uh, reading my sermon prep? I should say. One thing I should just highlight very quickly, actually, if it comes up behind me, um, is we've got a new website, which is on the wee card here, redeemercentral.com slash farmbox. And if you scroll down, 
So you can see there on, uh, you can help us plant and help us uh, harvest on, on those days up in Origin. If you want to help deliver, you can sign up there. And then lastly, um, we've got a intro evening. So if you're intrigued by Farmbox, if you want to get involved, on the 2nd of June, we're going to be meeting uh, in the evenings at Ian Libby's. Is that right, isn't it? Yes. Brilliant. Um, so if you want to get involved, you want to find out a bit more, come along to that. Okay. So we're, we're carrying on our mini-series and Kingdom Ways. Last week, David talked about generosity. And if you haven't listened to, to the talk yet, if you haven't caught up on the podcast, I'd really encourage you to do so. Um, do have a listen this week. It's brilliant. I think Dave said he, he got the short straw because it was the money talk. <laughs> um, perhaps I've got the long straw this week, a compassion. If you've got a Bible uh, or on your phones, I'd like you to go to Matthew 14 and from verse 1. It's going to come up behind me um, so you can follow there too. And as we read from Scripture, I want you to become one of the characters I want, to, I want you to bring all your senses into the story. I want you to imagine yourself as someone who's in the crowd, observing all that is happening. So Matthew 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. This is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oath and his guests had commanded it to give him. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to the mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot and the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now it was evening and the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we, we come before you this morning expecting, expecting that you are going to speak, that you already have spoken, and Lord, that you have a word for us in season. Lord, I pray that you would just warm our hearts, that you would just open our ears to hear it. Lord, would you bless our time together and your word. 
Amen. Everyone is talking about it. Everyone is talking about it. Earlier in the week, I was heading through a shopping center, okay? And as I was walking along, uh, I saw ahead of me a stand, and it was a stand for a charity, a cancer charity, okay? And just in front of the stand was a middle-aged lady and an older gentleman, and they were having this very animated conversation. You could immediately tell the lady was very passionate about what she was discussing, very pronounced gestures, and a voice slightly raised above the normal talking level. And then I heard the following words from her mouth. It's not over until it's over. It's not over until it's over. I quickly glanced back at the charity stand. Cancer, it's not over till it's over. Elderly gentleman, I'm very much profiling here. And I thought, two and two fitted together, I suppose. And just as I was walking past, my ears pricked up to his response. It was a great game of football. Everyone is talking about it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know whether you'd identify yourself as the everyone. Just a show of hands here. Who talked about the football this week? Okay. Who was talked at about the football this week? Yes, okay. (laughs) Most of you heard what happened, I'm sure, whether you wanted to or not. Of course, I'm talking about the Champions League and the Europa League semi-finals this week in what could be argued as one of the most scintillating weeks of footballing history. Liverpool were three goals down in the first leg and they needed to score four goals in the second leg to beat Barcelona and enter into the final. But not only that, they need to prevent one of the probably greatest footballers in history from scoring a goal, Messi. An impossible task, surely. Spurs on the other game... They were 1-0 down in the first leg, and they found themselves 2-0 down in the first half of the second leg. They now needed three goals against a young and fearless Ajax team who had knocked out the likes of Juventus and Real Madrid. Surely it was game over for Liverpool and Spurs. It's not over till it's over. Liverpool, roared on relentlessly by their home fans, scored early on, And with another three goals in the second half, secured their place in the Champions League final. What a comeback. Surely something like this couldn't happen again. Spurs, within the space of four minutes, had scored two goals and they were now level. They needed one more goal. The minutes were ticking by. 90 minutes had gone. Extra time was gone. There were literally only seconds left. What was going to happen? Ajax fans were counting down the clock, literally. And then this happened. Screams of terror as Lucas Moura in the last minute of the game scores for Spurs. What an ending. Spurs were through to the final. I'm a Spurs supporter. One of the greatest moments that I've ever seen. (laughs) It's not over until it's over. In our passage, we find Jesus at a point in his ministry where he's a household name. He is teaching with an authority people have never heard before. Not only is he a great teacher, but he's also an engrossing storyteller, parables that provoke and intrigue. 
But Jesus was more than a teacher and a storyteller. He was also seen as a prophet, as we heard in our reading. People were comparing him to John the Baptist. Some even thought he was John the Baptist back from the dead. Jesus also performed miracles, miraculous healings. The lame walked, the blind could see. And he was beginning to gather a small band of followers around him, his disciples. This was a new thing. A movement was underway and the momentum was beginning to build. The crowds were gathering and they were growing. Jesus was in town. And there were even faint whispers, is he the one? Is he the one? Everyone was talking about it. But then I want to quickly fast forward to Matthew 26. Then the men stepped forward. They seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would, you, would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come to me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The next day, the man who was once the talk of the town, the one people thought might be the new King David, who would kick out the Romans and return Israel to its former glory, was crucified. The crowd no longer bowed before him. They spat and they mocked him. His closest friends had abandoned him. What a turn of events. Surely it was over. What on earth had gone wrong? In our previous story, the crowd were very much with Jesus. Momentum, it seemed, was on his side. Surely it was time to stir the crowd to action, to take back what was theirs. The crowd had witnessed an incredible miracle in a desolate place. Jesus had provided food for all of them out of next to nothing. And as the crowd sat and ate, the clogs in their head beginning to turn, there was something strangely familiar about this. The stories of Moses and Israel wandering the desert. Yahweh providing for them and their eventual arrival into the promised land. There was a tangible sense of anticipation and the crowd were ready to declare Jesus king. Jesus could sense it too. And in that moment, a moment to change the course of history, a moment to enter the promised land, Jesus does what? Verse 22. He immediately makes the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountainside to pray. What on earth are you doing, Jesus? This isn't the time to pray. This is the time to take action. The crowd are with you. What on earth are you doing? Perhaps you find yourself in that position this morning. Like one of the crowd, you are keenly aware of the injustices occurring in your street, in your city, in your country. You look further afield to the world and you sigh. And you're left with the questions of what on earth is happening, God? Surely it's time to act now. Why is the church seemingly asleep? I'm not dismissing prayer, but we need to do something, surely. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. 
You see, nothing Jesus does is without purpose or meaning. And I want us just to tease something out of here, what I think he is doing, what he's teaching us. In verse 14, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Gandhi once said that the greatness of a person lies in their heart. I'm also going to contend that it also lies in their gut. Perhaps one and the same thing. So the Greek word for compassion, if I can pronounce this right, is splajnazimi. Splajnazimi. Okay? And it means to be moved as one, to one's bowels. Okay? Hence to be moved with compassion. And the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. Therefore, the driving force to action comes from this place. Jesus' compassion, his love, fueled his passion for us, for his death. As Hebrews 12 says, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's from this place of compassion that he did this. And I'm curious this morning, I wonder, how is your gut? How is your gut? You may be not thinking that I was going to ask such a question this morning. In the past four to five years, my gut has undergone a slow but consistent transformation, okay? For those of you looking at me from the front, you're probably thinking, I don't see it, Dan. Looking at his arms here, they're pretty skinny. Um, he doesn't seem to have much of a belly. But for those of you on the side profile, you're probably seeing a slight, unmistakable rise and fall. Yes, also known as the dad bod, okay? This is no accident, all right? A combination of less exercise, an increase in sweet things, and probably as I'm getting older, the slowing of my metabolism has caused my gut just to slightly expand a bit more and a bit more. And last week, David drew our attention to generosity. He reminded us that as part of God's family, his church, we are pictured as a body, and therefore, like anybody, it needs to be cared for. With the right diet and exercise, we'll will become all that God hopes and desires us to be. However, the opposite is also true. If we neglect our body or if we give it the wrong things, it will weaken and become far less effective. And you know, I was thinking about us as a church, wider church, particularly in the West, and I was wondering, have we become kind of maybe spiritually obese? A self-obsessed church interested in its own affairs with little attention to what's going on around or what's going on outside. Have we become numb, perhaps, overwhelmed to a world in desperate need? A church who is ever consuming, but rarely sacrificing and giving out. And I wonder what might be bunging up your gut. Fatigue, perhaps trauma, hate. Is there unforgiveness? Perhaps you're experiencing a great loss at the moment, and you're feeling numb. Or maybe you're just distracted. There are many things that can bung up our gut. And I think that we are, I am, in desperate need to nourish and strengthen my gut. What will cause me to have a compassion akin to that of our creator, Jesus? What does it even look like? You know, when Jesus looked at the crowd, he was keenly aware that they were ready for a revolution with him as their spearhead. In their eyes, Jesus was this warrior king who would lead their army to victory, a violent overthrow, the status quo. But this was not his way. 
You know, as I grow older, I'm discovering more and more there is much that I've put onto Jesus. Expectations, strategies, ideas. But these thoughts aren't his thoughts. And these ways aren't his ways. In, in verse 15, we read that when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. You know, this wasn't a bad idea. It made sense, in fact, doesn't it? They've had a long day. They're in a desolate place. Send the crowd away so they can go and get food. That makes sense. But it wasn't what Jesus had in mind. You know, Jesus, he didn't picture himself as a violent ruler or warrior. He was doing something new. And there are many pictures and names given to Jesus. The lamb who was slain, the prince of peace, the vine, to name a few. And in Mark's account of this story, he says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And here we see Jesus alluding to himself as that shepherd. In John 10, verses 3 and 4, it says that the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do we know the Father's voice? Do we know it? Or have we fallen asleep? Have we gone astray to other pastures? Perhaps like the disciples, we've maybe decided, well, we're going to take the reins, Jesus. We think we've, we know better. We've got a better idea of what needs to be done next. But his thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. VAR, a term that has not only been added to the footballing vocabulary in the past year, but has given a new dimension to the drama of the beautiful game. For those of you unfamiliar, it means video assistant referee. Therefore, the referee is able to review crucial moments in the game to assist his decision. And in theory, get it right. A few weeks ago, I found myself reading an article following one of the less dramatic games, shall we say, from the Champions League. It was Spurs v. Man City. And just here's, here's a wee extract from the article I'm going to read to you. With 10 minutes gone, Raylene Sterling set off on a veering run from, left, from the left touchline. Danny Rose blocked his shot, sliding in front of the ball and it bubbled away over the goal line. City were already preparing to take a corner when, like a digital juice-sex machine, the screens flashed up with the words, VAR penalty review. The stadium gurgled and boggled. Nobody had even appealed. As commanded, the referee rushed over to the screen at the halfway line. And yes, in endless replay, caught in freeze frame, the whole thing looked so much like a crime scene reenactment, like the assassination of JFK, that it seemed shot through with guilt. This is the problem with VAR. To observe something is to change it. This is not a new principle or phenomenon. This is certainly well known in the scientific community. In physics, the observer effect is the theory that mere observation of a phenomenon inevitably changes that phenomenon. And the writer in the article viewed this principle as something of a problem. No one, the players, the crowd, even the referee had even seen this handball. Without VAR, the game would have just continued oblivious to the truth. And the events that follow would have been very different. A corner, not a penalty, would have occurred. And so on and so forth. A knock-on effect of preceding events would have branched off in a very, very different direction. For those of you that are Marvel fans and seen the new film, we're witnessing a new branch in the timeline as a result of VAR. <laughs> but Jesus knew the secret. 
to compassion and action. The kind that would truly change the course of history, a branch in history that would be the way to go. Verse 22. He went up to the mountainside to be by himself to pray. Jesus' desire in that moment was to be in his Father's presence. And it wasn't that he would maybe necessarily gaze upon the Father, but that he would actually be observed by the Father himself. And in that place of being in the presence of God, that he would be changed. And in doing so, he would feed his gut with the Father's passion, with the Father's love, with the Father's goodness. You know, it wasn't the way the crowd had intended, but it was the right way. And he, I think, and I think I know, that he's calling us to do the same thing. You see, the trouble is we're not very good at it. We're not very good at waiting. I'm not very good at waiting. We become impatient. We become easily distracted. But to make time to be in God's presence and for his gaze to be upon us is to be changed. This is the way of Jesus. This is how we become familiar with the Father's voice, his thoughts, his ways. Ultimately, this is how we will change the world around us. For it is in the waiting that our soul grows quiet and contemplative and cultivates a capacity for awareness by which we can discern what God is doing and when he does act. Brian Zan puts it like this. I want to read it to you. <clears throat> we have been seduced by an idolatry that deceives us into thinking that God is mostly found in the big and the loud, when in fact God is almost never found in the big and the loud. The ways of God are predominantly small and quiet, the ways of God are about as loud as seed falling on the ground or bread rising in an oven. The ways of God are almost never found in the shouts of the crowd. The ways of God are more often found in the trickling tears and the whispered prayers. We want God to do a big thing while God is planning to do a small thing. We're impressed by the big and the loud. God is not. We are in a hurry. God is not. We want God to act fast but God's speed is almost always slow. So we are waiting for God to act. But I would suggest that we are not so much waiting for God to act as we are waiting to become contemplative enough to discern what God is doing. God is always acting because God is always loving his creation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always inviting us into the house of love. But when we are consumed by anger, harried by anxiety, and driven by impatience, we are blind and deaf to what God is actually doing in the present moment. Therefore, when we are waiting for God to act, God is waiting for your soul to become quiet, your mind a little less busy, and allowing your heart to be turned to him. It is in this place that we begin to discern what God is doing in the obscure, forgotten corners of power. Far from the cor corridors of power, wherever you think the action is. You see, the crowd wanted God to act in the imperial capital of Rome, but God first acts in a stable on the edge of Bethlehem. The crowd wanted Jesus to act as the spearhead for their movement, to set up a new independent state of Israel, but Jesus first acts on a mountainside in his Father's presence. 
We want God to act in Northern Ireland. But God first acts in the quiet corner of your living room. God is about to act. God is about to act in your life and in our world. But if you want to discern the actions of God, you must learn to first wait in quiet contemplation. Before you can become an activist, you must first become a contemplative. Otherwise, you're just going to react. And reactivists are not filled with holy compassion. They're merely recycling anger, keeping the world an angry place, and they keep the world a divided place. As Brian Zahn puts it, Jesus was a contemplative activist, but never a reactivist. Do you know the Father's voice? To strengthen our gut, to be compassionate about the right things at the right time, to have a holy compassion. In the Bible, something that is made holy is something that has been consecrated, has been blessed by God. That only happens in God's presence. This is the kind of compassion that will grow and endure. We need to know our Father's voice. And to know his voice, we need to be in his presence. And when we find ourselves in that place, in the stillness, in the quiet, we will begin to hear at the right time, in the right place, you feed them. You feed them. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to come to the table. And as it is Farm Box Sunday, um, and as Dave mentioned earlier, we're going to have a time to also respond. And we can do that with our money. We can do that, and I'm hoping we will. But can I commend to you, Redeemer, first and foremost, that we would become a people who pledge to come to the Father's presence, that we would pledge to pray, that we would seek God and seek his face to see what he is already doing, and that we would enter into that. Wednesday night, we've got a great opportunity to come together downstairs to pray, to worship. And I just want to highlight too that we've got a guest coming just to share all that is going on around refugees and asylum seekers in Northern Ireland. So it will be a really informative evening for our praying. So I'd encourage you to come along that we would all be there on Wednesday night if we can. The prayer room behind us over the next few weeks and months, we're going to start to open that up more because we want to seek God and what he's doing in our land. So can I ask you, please pray. If you'd like to give some money, that would be fantastic too. The delivery of fresh fruit and veg for a family so for every two weeks, the cost for one family is 12 pounds. 12 pounds, okay? That's probably, what, three or four coffees? Would you be willing, maybe once a month, to be able to give 12 pounds for a family so that we can continue to give fresh fruit and veg? Not just the families that we're already serving. I'd love us to be able to do more than that. You know, over the past few years, uh, the likes of Open Cinema, and in the past year, Farmbox has been largely funded by grants. And we were talking about this very recently as leaders. And we felt, you know what? We're not owning this as a community. There's no expectation or onus on us to do anything. That's not right. And I think for us to own it is for us also to come to God with the expectation that he can do an incredible thing if we give it over to him. 
I love that picture of a young boy with five loaves and two fish. All that he had, he gave it to God and God multiplied it. So definitely pledge to pray. Definitely pledge to give some money. But also, if you can give your time, as Ian and Libby highlighted, we'd love more people to volunteer to support these families. It's not rocket science, guys. It really isn't. Bags of shopping to a door. You can say hello. They let you. If they don't, it doesn't matter. You can go away. But it's such a great thing that we get to do as a community. Such a needed thing. So let's come to the table. There's wee post-its on your table if you want to pledge in those different ways. You can just put it in as a visual thing into the farm box at the back, okay, or at the front here. Matt is also at the back as well, because I know we live in a very much cashless society. <laughs> so if you want to be able to give uh, contactless some money, then you can do that with Matt at the back also. So let's come to the table. Let's be reminded that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But he is desperate for us to come into his presence in order that we might start to glimpse what he is doing and enter into the story of God.